Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Aboard the Hogwarts Express. There was a definite end of the holiday's gloom in the air when Harry awoke next morning. Heavy rain was still splattering against the window as he got dressed in jeans and a sweatshirt. They would change into their school robes on the Hogwarts Express. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jolie Doggett. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Jolie edition. Yes, with Jolie. (laughs) So we have two announcements today. The first is, of course, about our Every Flavored Bean. We are going to be brainstorming what this cab driver is potentially thinking as he picks up this hodgepodge of people. It's not peaceful. It is not peaceful. So you can hear that conversation if you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. And the second one, Jolie, is everybody should join us at camp because you're going to be at camp. I sure am. I'm going to be leading some workshops. We might be doing some cool live shows. I'm going to just be there hanging out and being myself and having a good time and taking advantage of all the cool camp activities. So please join me in our carefree frolicking. It's going to be a very peaceful, peaceful time, I hope. (laughs) I hope so, too. And you can find out more about that at NotSorryWorks.com. Join Jolie. Join us. Join all of us. And Jolie, you have a story for us today on the theme of peace. What story do you have for us? I actually would like to start my story of peace with the opposite of peace, which is stress and overwhelm, which is how I have been feeling for the last couple of weeks. I started a new job a few months ago, and I haven't known a moment of peace since. I have been traveling a great deal. In fact, the last time I spoke to Vanessa, I was traveling. I've been traveling for work. I've been traveling for family obligations. I have a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, weekend work, a lot of deadlines I have to hit. And even on days when I don't have to do any work or family obligation, I have myself obligations. I have to clean myself. I have to cook. I have to clean my home. I have to do laundry. And then I just sleep. I don't have time to do anything else. And the thing about being stressed out is that even the things that you want to do, you feel more overwhelmed by them. It's just another thing on your to-do list. And that's kind of how I felt preparing for this podcast today. I love doing this podcast. I love seeing Vanessa, Matt, and AJ. And even though I really was excited to do this podcast, I felt super overwhelmed going into it. This weekend, my home experienced a hurricane. I was sheltering a lot of guests. I was talking on the phone to my mom, trying to convince her not to try to lift a tree off of a power line by herself. Not sure why she thought she could, but you know, strength of mothers, I suppose. (laughs) And 
this whole time, I was like, I need to make time to prepare for this podcast. Another thing on my to-do list. So I pulled out my fourth Harry Potter book, which is my favorite book in the series. And I began reading. And as soon as I started reading, I was immediately transported back to the Wizarding World, moving through the chapters, back to Hogwarts, through the Triwizard Tournament, through the Quidditch World Cup, through all the things that Harry and Ron were experiencing. And I felt like this sense of peace, the sense of not fully being present in the things that were causing me stress and being present only in the things that made me feel good and made me feel happy. And so as we begin to discuss this chapter today, I actually want to ask the question, is peace real? Is peace a real thing? Or is it something that we just make up in our head? Is it something that we have to force, that we have to create? Or is chaos real and peace is our actual true source of being? And I ask that because as I was reading chapter 11, I noticed a lot of parallels between Ron, Hermione, and Harry's experience. They just went through a whole bunch of nonsense with the Quidditch World Cup. A lot of chaos, even getting to the platform to get onto the train with the cab drivers and the fireworks and the owls and everything going really weird. And they have no idea what's about to come to them. Like, there's a lot that's about to happen in this book. And even as they're sitting on the train in their compartment, it is storming outside in the same way it was storming while I was reading these these chapters. And they're just chilling. They're hanging out. They're eating their cauldron cakes, not drinking enough water. I never see them drink enough water, but it's okay. They're used. They can do that. They're just talking. They're, they're gossiping. They're hanging out with their friends. They're talking about Quidditch and showing off all their cool things and talking about what they did over the summer. And I'm like, wow, this feels really, really peaceful. This feels like, unbeknownst to them, the last moment of peace they will ever experience. And there are moments... <laughs> Because as we know, in this fourth book, like things things go really downhill from the fourth book on. And there are moments in the chapter in which their peace is disturbed or seemingly disturbed from Mad-Eye Moody and everything going on over there and Malfoy going out of his way to harass them as he typically does. But they still are just chilling and hanging out and like don't let it bother them to the extent that had I been a 13-year-old wizard, I would have been very stressed out and overwhelmed. So yeah, that's what I want to talk about today. Is peace real? Can there be peace in chaos? Or is peace something that takes work? And can that work stress you out as well? Jolie, that's such a great story. And it also, like, it was exactly my question. Having visited Etymology Corner, like, I came up with the exact same question. And your question is the live one for me, right? Like, is chaos the rule to which peace is the exception or is peace the rule to which chaos is the exception right and that's it's you can see that in the etymologies i have some competing etymologies this week right so the word peace comes from an ancient indo-european word uh which means to tie or to bind together so the the language of pact comes from the same root as peace so it was it was like the idea of treaties like people who are in contest or in conflict would develop a pact, and then there would be peace, right? So like that etymology, there's a assumption that conflict is the initial position to which mm-hmm. peace is the exception, right? But then the word peace is also used to translate a lot of other words, ancient words. So like in Hebrew, the word shalom, or in Greek, the word irene, which is the New Testament's written in Greek. Those words don't mean like binding or tying. Those words mean wholeness, right? Mm-hmm. That sense is like there's a prior wholeness And we have become broken apart and our wholeness needs to be restored, right? So even in these two traditions of the understanding of peace, one is like, oh, chaos is the starting position. Let's get some peace. The other one is like wholeness was the starting position and now we're broken. Let's get the wholeness back together. Like it seems like even the way we use the language has the same question that you bring up in your story. I think I prefer the second definition. I think the second definition, not that one is more right or true than the other, but I think the second definition maybe even applies more closely to Harry. Mm. Um, I feel like whenever Harry is back in the wizarding world, that's the first time that he feels whole. Yeah. Like from the moment he leaves to the moment he comes back, he's even with everything that is going wild around him, like even with the World Cup and even with his wand going missing and even with the dark mark and even with Malfoy and Ron feeling bad about the dress robes and the fact that they're going to school and they will have homework again. I don't think 
Harry would trade a minute of that to be back with the Dursleys. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that sense of wholeness, that sense of even if things aren't going right, I am complete. Yeah. I think that is what peace is for Harry. Yeah. Well, let's recap the chapter. I know 30-second recaps are a time of peace for us all. And then we'll jump into this more. Because both of these answers, I'm like, no, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be. Okay, Matt, you have the honor and privilege of going first today. It is an honor and a privilege. On your mark. Get set. Go. So uh, Arthur gets a call from the, the ministry, and there's a big bustle in the morning. It's the day they're leaving for Hogwarts, and it's Cedric Diggory, and he's in the fire, and like, and Molly weirdly gives him a piece of toast, and they're talking about uh, they're talking about Mad Eye, and who's Mad Eye, but who knows? It's time to get in the Muggle taxis and go to the train station. They go to the train station, they get on the train, and they hear um, Malfoy talking about Durmstrong, and then Malfoy comes over, and he's like, "Oh, Ron, you're you don't have money, and your dad isn't great," and he's like, "Oh, I'm mad at you," and then uh, and then oh gosh, I lost the end of the. Show. Chapter. What happened at the end of the chapter? There's something that happened in the, the chapter. They get off the train. They get off the train. Maybe that's <laughs> they it. Just go to that's Hogwarts. It. Yeah, I felt like there was something else that I'm. Oh well. Well, you know what? I'm at peace with it. Okay, Jolie, you're next. I'm gonna count you in. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so the kids are coming down the stairs, but then Mrs. Weasley yells up the stairs, and Arthur comes down the stairs, and his robes are on backwards, which I imagine Rose being on backwards just look the same, because it's all just a really long outfit. But anyway, then um, Amos Diggory's head is in the fire, and Mrs. Weasley does give him toast, and I think about that moment often from the moment I read that as a child. I was just like, did she put the flu powder on the toast? Whatever. Anyway, cats have been disturbing Mad-Eye Moody, and there are things that are charmed, and the Weasleys have to go there. Anyway, they're on the train, Malfoy's mean, they're eating cauldron cakes, Mal punches when they go to Hogwarts. I spent way too long talking about the toast. I know. Did you spend the right amount of time talking about the toast? But when I tell you, I think about that moment at least like a couple times a year since the moment I read that book as a nine-year-old. I literally think about it. I'm just like, how did she get the toast into his mouth? Like, I'm so confused. Magical toast. It just seems to defy the laws of magic. You also did like two-thirds of the chapter in the last five seconds, which was excellent. I mean, you that was... We could do seven-second recaps at that pace. Nothing happens. This chapter is so peaceful. Nothing happens except they're sitting on the train. Except And Malfoy's being mean. And yeah, the toast is the most interesting part of the chapter (laughs) to me. To me. Anyway. Are you ready, Vanessa? I'm ready. Okay. In three, two, one, go. So toast happens, everyone. And then um, there's a lot of talk about something is going to be happening at Hogwarts this year. Maybe I'll even take some time off work. And and then Percy is like, I can't help drop off. I'm too important. And Fred is like, maybe he'll even know your name one day. And Hermione is the only one who really re- remembers to thank Mrs. Weasley. But they all get on the Hogwarts Express. And Neville's like, I couldn't go. And um, Ron is like, oh, my God, it was the best. And then Draco is a jerk. And Ron is like, we should push him off of a glacier. And then they arrive at Hogwarts and it's storm. Yes, we did good. You know, I find peace in the 30 second recap because I know the parts that one of us misses, the other one will pick pick it right up. Like teamwork. Teamwork. Teamwork gives me peace. You know, Vanessa, I was trying to remember one thing in my 30 second recap, which I forgot. And then you hit it, which was like all the secrecy in the chapter. Like one thing that really, as I was reviewing the chapter, prior to recording like the thing that struck me this time more so than the first time i read it was like how everybody knows the big secret that's happening at hogwarts except for harry ron hermione fred and george it seems like and it is driving them bananas right like they they don't know what's going on and it made me think about like how being kept in the dark it just it's hard to be at peace yeah Mm-hmm. when you don't have information that pertains directly to you. Like, it, we're allowed to not have information about other people. Like, we we can't complain about that, mm-hmm. right? But, like, if there's something that directly impinges upon you, like, they're talking about the rules changing at Hogwarts this year. Like, this group of people who are boarding the Hogwarts Express today know something is up, know their lives are going to be seriously impacted. And they also know that everyone around them knows. And, like, it just... It roils them up inside. And I really identify with that because when you're in a space where like you don't know and you know everybody else knows and everyone's talking to you about how you, they know what you don't know, like that, it's so frustrating and so difficult. 
Yeah. And yet that's a kind of frustration that we cultivate in one another for a surprise, right? Which presupposes that there's a certain kind of not peace that is fun. Interesting. Right. The the reason that Molly is not telling them is so they can be surprised when Dumbledore says it. I think she's also not telling them because they're not supposed to. And she's trying to follow the rules. And she doesn't think that her kids are better than other kids just because their father works at the ministry. But part of it is just like, I'm not going to tell you until your birthday. And that, yeah, that we think certain kinds of frustration are enjoyable, which is a questionable theory. But I think I understand that. But thinking about what Matt was saying about how the stress of not knowing something creates a barrier to peace. Isn't that life? We never know what's going to happen in life. And that's why I never know peace. But (laughs) I keep thinking ahead about what's going to happen in this book, which again is my favorite of all of the books because so much happens in this book. They're worried about not knowing about the Triwizard Tournament. They have no idea what this Triwizard Tournament is even going to bring. And sometimes it is the anticipation of things that causes that sense of good good frustration, but it is the dread of things that I think causes the stress, which creates like an opposite of peace. And the fine line between anticipation and dread is one that I walk in my daily life, but (laughs) I also find that Ron, Hermione, and Harry are walking and they don't even know it yet. So I think it's good that they have, I don't know why I'm like so sad for them, but I think it's good that they have like this one moment of like, it's fun for now. Like, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> I mean, that answer, Julie, I think helps me think through this question that that we developed as a result of your story, right? Like, and my etymology or whatever, like, is peace a prior condition from which chaos is the exception or is chaos the condition from which peace is the exception? And I talked about like wholeness versus binding together or the pact or whatever. And and your answer like makes me think wholeness is the right answer, right? Because if you think about this thing about not knowing, you're right. Like all of us don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Like I have some predictions and I have a calendar, right? And maybe that calendar gives me some peace. But the difference is that like if I'm within a community of people and we all don't know together, then there can be some peace in that not knowing. But what's going on here is like everybody knows except these kids and everyone's telling these kids that you don't know something that we know. And they're setting them apart. They're like breaking up that wholeness mm-hmm. instead of being a community yeah. where we support each other in what we don't know. Hey, I know some stuff that you don't know. That can feel upsetting. And I, yeah, and I think that you're right, Vanessa. Surprise is one of those situations where some people take real delight in that, right? But the whole thing about a surprise is like, you don't tell somebody beforehand, like, I got a big surprise (laughs) for you. I can't tell you what it is. And it's going to really, really, really like throw everything upside down for you. But just wait. You'll know about it soon enough. Like, I mean, <laughs> right? We do have those things built into our lives, like yeah. Christmas, right? Yeah, Where that's true. That's a, true. You, we're not taunting a kid, but they know that big surprises are waiting that's for them, true. and we're not going to tell them what we're doing. But what y'all are making me realize is that this train ride, especially juxtaposed with the train ride that we know that they're going to have at the end of this book, might be mm-hmm. the last time that Harry in particular feels this childlike version of peace, right? He's delighting in Ron holding this crumb figurine. He is, you know, getting mad at Draco for being a jerk. But at the end of the book, you know, he's going to have a lovely moment with Fred and George where he gives them the money from his winnings and And he's going to still have positive moments in his life, but he is never going to have this childlike peace of just not feeling at this moment like he is anything really bigger that has broken him down in some way. He's worried about his scar with Voldemort, but Sirius is on it and Hermione and Ron know about it. But after this big trauma with Cedric. Something is going to be broken inside of him that's just never going to heal. And even his conflicts between he and Draco, he and Draco are going to have a conflict every year on the train. But it's going to get violent, right? Like it's not going to be teasing about, you know, Ron's robes. It's going to be stomping on faces. And so 
It just makes me want to appreciate this chapter that it's the last time Harry is going to be on the Hogwarts Express. It's going to be the last time that he rides the horseless carriages. Next year, they're going to have Thestrals. I think that's why I love this book so much. It's because it is one of the last moments in which they're just kids at school. Even this chapter is one of the last moments where they're just kids at school because they don't know that the Triwizard Tournament is coming and they certainly don't know that Harry's name is going to be in the Goblet of Fire and he's not even going to be able to do his regular schoolwork with them. So, And that made me think again to what you were saying about the parents and the adults being like, oh, we know something you don't know. There is something inherent in being a child that the grown-ups know things (laughs) that you don't know. And it's super frustrating. But man, when you grow up and you know the things that grownups know, all you want to do is go back to your wizarding world, open your book, sit in the corner, and not have to worry about bills or the hurricane yeah. outside. You just want to you just yeah. want to chill. And I think that's why I appreciate this chapter mm. and this book and this discussion because it is reminding me of another level of peace because we talked about peace being repair. We talked about peace being whole. But there's some things where peace just is. Like, it it just is in your life. I think children know an inherent, or should know, rather, an inherent level of peace in their lives. And peace is something that becomes disturbed the more you grow up. And it's something that you always have to come back to, perhaps. And Harry, Ron, and Hermione, throughout this book, even in this chapter, they have moments where they come back to their peace. They have, from the moment when they are coming down the stairs, everything's normal, and then there's a head in the fire and toast, but <laughs> there's a head in the fire, and they have to be like, okay, that was weird. Come back to my peace, eat my breakfast, whatever. They're in the cab, there are fireworks going off, the owls are going, like, having a really hard time, and then they're like, all right, back to my peace. They're on the train, Malfoy is Malfoy, we punch a cauldron cake, and we get back to our peace. Like, I think there, the more we grow up, the more opportunities there are for our peace to be disturbed, but perhaps we get better at coming back to our peace or we should be getting better at coming back to our peace. That goes back to the other question, Julie, your original question, Julie, about like, is peace an illusion, right? Like part of what you're saying here is that, and I identify with that also, like I felt great peace as a child. I was lucky enough to grow up in a fairly stable home with, with a loving family, unlike somebody like Harry, right? But I now realize having grown up that, you know, my my parents were stressed a lot of the time. Not everything was going smoothly for them. Like, I was given a, a false sense of calm and rest or whatever, quiet during those years. And it is something I want to go back to. But going back, that is like a departure from the quote-unquote real world of chaos into a space which feels like peace so I can rejuvenate and reenter that world of chaos, right? And so, like, your question about the illusoriness of peace, I think, comes up again in the way you you frame that. Can I ask a question? Like, is it a false sense of peace that we have? Like, or is it a cultivated sense of peace? Like, yeah, that's a that's a good distinction too, right? Yeah. Like your parents, our parents are meant to create a sense of calm and chaos for us. Yeah. And then if we take it back to the book, Dumbledore does his best to create a sense of order and Hagrid does his best to create a sense of order and and for for the first years going on the boat. Even the train conductor, there are rules on the Hogwarts Express, things that you aren't and are allowed to do, all to create a sense of peacefulness for everyone aboard and everyone, every child that's going through the gates of Hogwarts. I wouldn't necessarily call that an illusion. I would call that purposeful, which leads me to the other part of my question in my story is that is peace work? Is peace something that like we have to actively work toward as a community or as individuals in our own personal lives? Is peace inherent or is it something that you you have to work toward? Which contradicts my earlier story about Harry as a child. There's an inherent peace. Is it inherent or is it something that the community around him has worked yeah. really hard to create for him? Yeah. Well, I think that this chapter is actually quite brilliant on that because this isn't a peaceful chapter, right? Like Moody is getting kidnapped in the background. Right. And Arthur is like trying to see him and trying to make right 
by Moody, and we can talk about the politics of Arthur coming in and rescuing Moody later if we want. But even the Triwizard Tournament, I think Dumbledore intends for it to be an ordered sign of chaos, right? A We're going to introduce different cultures into this school, and that's going to be complicated because talking across cultures is complicated, but that's an important thing to learn. But I think that it is abundantly clear that the background of these children's world is full of violence and chaos, and that wonderful people like Molly Weasley are trying to make that invisible to the children. Mm -hmm. But, like, Molly's had a super chaotic morning. She's feeding toast into the fire, but also she is walking to the nearby post office where she has to figure out how to use a payphone in order to call muggle cabs. And Arthur was going to help her take the kids to school, and he's not there. And, right, like, these cabs have all these animals and fireworks. But she is persisting and is just, like, getting these kids onto their train. And so I actually think, to a large extent, we're all trying to create a sense of peace for one another whenever we can. Mm -hmm. But even Harry and Ron, right, like, the very first time they meet, Harry is splitting his food with Ron. Or, you know, there's this, like, moment of communion with Molly giving Amos toast, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there are all these, like, outreaching attempts at nourishing one another, but we know that in the background, there's just, there's abject violence happening. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That, that, that's a great way to frame this idea of, like, what's in the background, what's in the foreground, not as competing against each other or as one hiding the other, although it is hidden in this chapter, but as, like, to use Jolie's framework is like we work to construct these spaces within a world that does not guarantee them for us, right? And I think Jolie's right here also. Like it's, it's not right to call one an illusion and the other one real. Both are real, but they're existing alongside each other. And it's where you're paying attention and how well you're paying attention that's what matters. And not even where you're paying attention. In addition to that, it's where you put in your effort. Yeah. Malfoy puts his effort into sowing chaos wherever he steps. He did not have to go into their compartment. In fact, they made it a point to separate themselves from Malfoy. Like, Hermione closes the door so they don't have to hear him anymore. They even close the door again when other people enter so that no one else can enter their space that they don't want to. And the moment they leave it cracked is when Malfoy comes in. They put effort into creating a sense of peace, whereas there are others like Malfoy, like Barty Crouch Jr., unseen, but definitely impacting the beginning of this chapter. They put effort into creating a sense of stress, overwhelm, chaos. So I would say that, yes, They are two things that exist alongside each other and that it is up to us and it is up to the characters in this book to decide where they are going to put their effort. And we see that play out in really intense ways as the book goes on. And maybe that's why I am so stressed because we know everything that's about to happen in this book. No one else does. Even the characters like Molly and Dumbledore who are trying to curate peace, like, We know what's going to happen. And there are things that cannot be avoided. And maybe that disturbs my own personal peace, knowing that everyone else is going to have a really hard time. But I suppose I can have faith in knowing that at the core of these characters, their goal is always to return to peace. And we get that as the books and the story go on. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. A place where I see this, like, come to a head is in Hagrid, this is something you mentioned, Jolie, Hagrid bringing the first years across the lake. So I can imagine Hagrid seeing this as an act of peace, as an act of continuity. We always take the kids across the lake. This is tradition. It's going to create a sense of peace that this is what we always do. My other instinct is like, why isn't there a rain plan? Like, how is this a peaceful, warm, lovely welcoming for these first years? And I feel like one of the things about being a teacher is stepping back and wondering what is what is the vibe that I want to create for these kids? What is the illusion that I want to create for these kids? Because it is, right? It is, it's event planning. It is like creating a small space of illusion. And I'm wondering what you all think as to like which would be the more peaceful option. Did Hagrid choose right by being like, we still go across the lake? Or should he have been like, do you know what, y'all? Let's let's come up with some sort of magical <laughs> experience for you all to arrive not in the middle of essentially a hurricane. I have two points to make for that. One is I wonder if Hagrid felt that he had a choice. You know, I right. think totally. There, <laughs> I think there is still the Hagrid who is just keeper of games, keys, and grounds at Hogwarts, yeah. and is just doing what he's told and lets other people figure it out. And there is also the part of Hagrid who still does not have his full use of magic. So he can't even impervious these students to give them a rain, a water-free experience. So there's that. Peace, I think, is something that has to evolve, right? I think you bring up the point of like, sometimes the circumstances are going to change. And so our method of finding like a peaceful moment has to change as well. So Originally, in the first books, we see Harry take these boats, go under the cave and the moss, and the big reveal of Hogwarts is like such an amazing moment for him. Those first-year kids aren't going to have that. They're going to be soaking wet. We know Dennis is going to fall in the lake and get rescued by the giant squid. It's going to be it's going to be incredibly hectic. And while that will certainly create memories for those children, it's not necessarily the peaceful awe-inspiring moment that we intend it to be. And I think that is a lesson in how the things that give us peace have to evolve. As a child, I got a lot of peace going to Bush Gardens on weekends and riding roller coasters and hanging out with my friends and eating a lot of churros and not drinking enough water. I think it's just a sign of youth is that who cares about proper hydration, whatever. As an adult, I found peace sitting in a far corner of my home alone and reading children's books. (laughs) Like that's where I, in a nice cup of tea and that's where I found peace. I find peace in paying my bills in a timely manner. When I was Harry, Ron and Hermione's age, I found peace spending my money on Skittles in the snack machine at school. I think peace in order to remain peaceful has to evolve. So whether or not Hagrid had the choice I think the right thing to do would have been to change the circumstances, change the situation to create more peace because the outside world is constantly changing and moving. So our our ways of finding peace have to also change to meet that. 
I guess I just think that peace is never really complete. And so it's about prioritizing which peace you want to cultivate in that moment. Mm -hmm. So do you want to create the peace of ritual or do you want to create the peace of dry students? And I don't think either, I think that these are competing ideals and that either one is a valid choice. And that sometimes they are equally valid. And so you kind of, you know, flip a coin. I agree. But I think that often we let just the piece of this is how we all, we've we always done it be the deeper rut when yeah. actually some interruption is the thing that we need to do. That's right. Like that's the frustration of people who don't want to use they as singular. Mm -hmm. It's like, but this is how we've always done it. And it's like, you don't actually have an argument, right? They has been used as singular since the 14th century. Like, it's just a change for you. And you would rather maintain your own piece of quote-unquote correct grammar rather than another kind of piece of actually engaging in a historical form of grammar, but also the piece of, you know, using pronouns that people want. And I... It's just about thinking through what piece what piece of peace you want to prioritize cuz Julie to your point I think that I think the thing about being an adult is that you never have complete peace right there's and I wonder if like after your baby you don't right there's this feeling of a baby being like fed and changed mm-hmm. and then asleep where you look at them and you are like they are potentially Maybe, God willing, <laughs> at peace. We hope so. Um, we hope so, right? And then, you know, at some point, like, you are aware that you could be folding your laundry and you've decided to rest anyway. Mm-hmm. But even when you're sitting down in front of the TV with your loved one, you're like, there's still war. There are children in this city that are hungry tonight, right? Like, and we know that. And so we don't have peace. We just choose rest anyway because we need rest and that's the way that it is. But to me, it's about choosing a kind of peace mm-hmm. and knowing that you can't have it all. Yeah. And one of the etymologies, Matt, that you gave about um, treaties, right? Like that's one kind of peace. Mm-hmm. That's saying we want this war to end, but that's that doesn't mean that there isn't a mother grieving a child in that mm-hmm. village. Right. Peace is the end game in my thought process. And sometimes to get to the peace, there are steps that need to be taken. Sometimes getting to the peace needs means to disturb the peace. It means, yeah. I mean, as a Black woman, I wouldn't be sitting here if there weren't my ancestors and other allies who consistently disturbed and continue to disturb the peace of the status quo. And as Vanessa was saying, peace sometimes means finding moments of rest. Again, as we are marching toward whatever endgame brings us peace, there are steps that need to be taken. And rest is one of them. Changing our piece of peace is one of them. And having some steps back where we have to face the chaos head on is part of getting to the end game of finding a sense yeah. of peace. Peace evolves, peace is in motion, I feel. And peace is whatever you can have at that time. It's now time for us to do Lectio Divina, and I selected a sentence for us to engage with. And here it is. Ron, said Hermione reproachfully, and she pulled out her wand, muttered, Reparo, and the glass shards flew back into a single pane and back into the door. So, Jolie, yeah. what is going on in this sentence? Step one of Lectio Divina. So, Draco has just left the compartment after making fun of Ron's dress robes and his poverty and his father. And Ron slams the compartment door in anger so hard that the glass shatters and Hermione repairs it after briefly reproaching Ron. Yeah. This is scary. Like, that is very hard to slam a door. Yeah. One thing that's really communicated by this line is just like how, how full of rage 
Ron is about this. Like, he hates those robes. He hates, I can't remember the exact line from the last chapter, but he was like, why is my stuff all rubbish? Mm-hmm. I think of the burrow as this place of peace, right, for the Weasleys and for for Harry. But there is this background sense of anxiety and insecurity and, like, resentment that Ron has. And we saw a glimmer of it in the last chapter with mm-hmm. this frustration over these robes. But we can see how deep and powerful those feelings are when somebody like Draco comes and makes fun of his dad and makes fun of his his poverty and makes fun of his family. Like, there takes a lot of force to break this window. And that's what we're seeing is there's a lot of energy behind this in his heart right now. Yeah. So step two is what other stories does this remind us of? And I'll read the sentence one more time. Ron said Hermione reproachfully as she pulled out her wand, muttered Reparo, and the glass shards flew back into a single pane and back into the door. It reminds me of the first time we hear the spell Reparo, which was also on the Hogwarts Express, when Hermione was fixing Harry's glasses. Um, Oculo Reparo. Yes. Very specific Reparo this time. You have to use a special spell for glasses, but not for glass. (laughs) So yeah, it reminds me of that. It also, maybe this isn't a story or just, like, the story that, like, exists in the world of, like, women cleaning up a man's messes. (laughs) Just, like, you're going to rage out and I'm just going to come out in the background and make sure everything is in order again. That's not a specific story. It's just the story of being alive as a woman. I mean, that reminds me of one of my favorite movies, A River Runs Through It. These two brothers are mad at each other, and they start fighting hard. Like, they start beating the crap out of each other. And their mother comes between them to get them to stop, and she gets knocked down. And then they start beating each other harder because they're like, you knocked down mom. No, you knocked down mom. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I slipped, I slipped, I slipped. Like, please just stop. So, yeah, that, like, you know, these things escalate. And when you're mad, you kind of look for any excuse to let it escalate. Hermione's trying to bring things back to a sense of peace. Yeah, she's trying to repair. Matt, anything? So, one of my favorite moments from one of my favorite Christmas movies is when, in Die Hard, when John McClane (laughs) walks across the floor barefoot and has to step on all these Christmas ornaments and they shatter under his feet and you can just kind of sense the the glass like becoming powderized and like these shards going into his into the balls of his feet. That's a that's a terrible and amazing scene in movies. And so when I think of breaking glass, I think of that scene. Okay, so step three is what does this remind us of in our own lives? Ron, said Hermione reproachfully as she pulled out her wand, muttered Reparo, and the glass shards flew back into a single pane and back into the door. It reminds me of times where I have been so angry and not able to take it out on the people or systems in which I am angry with and take it out on something else, (laughs) be it my own cell phone, throwing it across a room or my own pillow screaming or crying into it. Or unfortunately, even other people, like someone catches me on a bad day and I'm just very short with them and unable to be my kind, jovial self. Yeah, it just reminds me of that feeling of not being in control and not even not being in control of your anger, but not being in control in life and that makes you angry. I strongly empathize with Ron's frustration of not just with Draco, but with his his lot in life. I mean, I grew up really, really poor and did not have the same things a lot of my friends and associates had in school. Wasn't able to do things that a lot of people did, like couldn't go on field trips because I didn't have like the $5 deposit or whatever for lunch. And I remember that feeling of frustration and not being able to do anything with it, just having to keep it moving. I think Ron has had to keep it moving for so long that it just all kind of came spilling out and he broke that window, which isn't right, but I understand. It happens, yeah. It reminds me of the first time that I had the girls on my own. Peter and I had only been dating a, a little while 
And, you know, I, I had nannied and babysat for a long time, but this felt very different to be trusted with Peter's kids. And our little one, Amy, who was four at the time, fell and scraped her knee on my watch. And so, you know, we got home and we sat down and I cleaned it and she, you know, wouldn't let me put Neosporin on it because this was a phase in her life when she did not like any creams or ointments. Relatable. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, she was still upset and Peter wasn't going to be home for a little while. And so I asked, I was like, do you think if I kissed it, it would make it feel better? And she looked at me and went, well, will it work? (laughs) And I was like. I, no, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but this is just like desire to like, you know, do anything that could possibly heal this thing. And her looking at me and being like, essentially like, but you can't, like, that's not going to do anything. Even Hermione fixing the window does not fix the core problem that's going on with Ron. You know what I mean? It's, it's a surface solution and not the the real problem is that I fell. Not even that I scraped my knee. I fell. The real problem is that Ron is poor. And not even that Draco made fun of it, but that Draco has something to make fun of. And there's no fixing that as easily with a spell or with a kiss, you know? Matt, what does this sentence remind you of in your life? You know, I, as a parent, I raise my voice quickly, probably a little too quickly. And I have a loud voice, so when I raise my voice, it gets louder. And this is this you know comes from the way I was parented. My mom raised her voice pretty easily. It never really bothered us, us brothers growing up, because we knew my mom raised her voice easily, and she also got over it really quickly. That's not an excuse. It's just like I think that's why I parent the way I do. And I just it makes me think about like I think I create some messes, right? <laughs> that involve more than just me, right? Because Colette has to come help mm-hmm. after I raise my voice too quickly. This inclination in my response to frustration with the kids or whatever isn't just something that can be magically repaired. And when it is repaired, it requires the assistance of my co-parent, right? Which makes it a burden for her beyond just an impatience and and an inappropriate response with the kids. So it made me really think about how it impacts Colette. And I always think about how it impacts the kids, or not in the moment I don't. And before and after, I think about how it will impact the kids. But now this has me thinking about how it impacts Colette as well. So that's that's useful. That's real. Like, it's like what I was saying earlier about having, like, having frustration and having rage and sometimes taking it out in, like, the wrong place. I mean, my mom also did the same. Like, she worked three jobs. She also was going to school. She was raising two teenagers with a bunch of extracurricular activities. And one day we weren't in the place we were supposed to be to be picked up so she could scoop us up and head to work. And she was so mad. Like, she yelled at us the entire drive home. And I'm like, girl, it's not my fault you got three jobs. You know what I mean? (laughs) But like, (laughs) but like, I understand, like, I understand like the frustration. And I'm sure Ron didn't mean to break the window. Again, it has nothing to do with the window or with me as a child or your own children, Matt. It's, it's sometimes things come out and the best thing we can do is repair them after the fact. Like, my mom apologized to us when we got home or when she got home from work later and Hermione fixes the window and Matt is a good dad. (laughs) He just is loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, step four is what does this make us feel called to? And I will read the sentence one more time. Ron said Hermione reproachfully as she pulled out her wand, muttered reparo, and the glass shards flew back into a single pane and back into the door. Oh, my God. I feel this so hard. She yells at Ron once, right? She's like, Ron. Hmm. And then she mutters the reparo. She's not going to make him feel guilty a second time. Hmm. She's like, I've made it clear that I'm annoyed. But then she's hmm. just like, I'm going to just fix the window and move on. And i that's what I feel called to is not— double down when I'm frustrated, but try to state my disapproval once. I just repeat myself a lot. And I don't think that when you're, you know, frustrated, it's helpful to repeat yourself. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to go run and then mutter my reparo and let it sort of get quieter and quieter from there. At least on interpersonal things. I think that in political things, it's important to 
keep screaming. But You know, we were talking about peace as wholeness or how our relationships to others and community gives us a sense of peace. And, you know, one thing that I just, that this conversation has really helped me think about is like how, how in those moments, like what I'm doing is both setting myself apart from Colette as a co-parent and then also giving her an additional task, right, as a co-parent. And that's separating us. It's kind of putting us at odds in the situation where, you know, kids are misbehaving or being unsafe or, or whatever, like in the moment when we need to kind of work together more to create, to restore some peace, like I'm actually just creating more separateness. So just to pay more attention to Colette, I think that's probably always good advice for me as a spouse, but just pay more attention to Colette in those moments and less to my own frustrations, but just to think about how we can do this together and how we can work together to, to help our kids. Jolie, what about you? What do you feel called to? I think I feel called to release my rage more often so that it doesn't mm-hmm. build up to the point that I am mm. taking my frustrations out on others or on my own property or shattering windows. I think I feel called to express myself, my disappointment, my frustrations more to the proper parties than to keep it to myself for the sake of maintaining peace because all that does is disturb my peace at the end of the day and create a mess that needs to be cleaned up. Oof, yes. Well, thank you both so much for a difficult but meaningful Lectio Divina. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Biddy. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, and the Sacred Text team. My name is Biddy. I use she, her pronouns. And I had a little brainwave recently while listening to your backlog that I thought I would share today. So I was listening to The Goblet of Fire. And in the chapter in which Barty Crouch Jr. is teaching the kids how to throw off the imperious curse, it just hit home for me in a way that I had not experienced before. So I have been struggling with OCD for the past 15 or so years now. And recently I've had a big uptick in the amount of intrusive thoughts and compulsions and rituals that I have to perform daily. And when Harry is being imperious, his experience of interacting with that voice and fighting the curse just felt exactly what it feels like to be in my head when I'm having an episode. So Harry can hear in his head Moody's voice saying, jump on the desk, jump on the desk. And Harry thinks back, but why? Stupid thing to do, really. And that is how I talk to my intrusive thoughts. Like, um, 
if I, I hear something saying, you know, clench your fists and snap your fingers and spin in a circle and your family will be safe. And I think back to it, but why? Stupid thing to do, really. Like, it's silly. I know that's not true, but it's the imperious curse. It's a compulsion. It is near impossible to fight. And so I just wanted to offer a blessing today to anyone who's struggling with a mental illness, anyone who's struggling with intrusive thoughts that feel like they dictate their behavior and they will forever. You know, fighting the imperious curse is hard. It is tough. And I am right there with you. So blessing to you all today for that. And I just want to say thank you so much for this podcast. It has brought me immense comfort throughout the years. And I appreciate the work you do so much. So thank you. Bye. I love that interpretation of the text and the sense of being seen that it gave you, Betty. And as someone who has a mental illness as well and the anxiety that comes along with it and feeling compelled to succumb to it, also know that it is a fight every single day to not to not feel a way that feels natural but also causes you a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of internal pain. So I also I receive your blessing and I share that blessing with others to continue the fight against it to to be yourself. Yes, Betty, I just want to echo Jolie's thanks. I think that this is a really helpful metaphor of thinking of the imperious curse as intrusive thoughts. And I'll never look at the imperious curse the same way again. Agreed. Thank you so much, Betty. It is now time for us to honor members of our community who have been loved and lost. Sharon Higgins, 80, who's creative, compassionate, and a caring mom, sister, and friend, and someone who advocated that Harry Potter wasn't just a kid's book and that people should read it, even as adults. Robert Laverne Rayberg, who is 87, a gardener, a grandfather, and a lover of cantaloupe. Nancy, who is 61, a wife, mother, grandmother, sister, and friend, as beautiful on the inside as on the outside. Christiana Marie Hoffler, who was 45, a mother of four with a beautiful smile. Delarice Mick Hansen, who was 84, bold in her actions, a family historian, and the matriarch to one large family. May their memories be a blessing to us all. And it is now time for us to offer blessings to characters in the chapter. Jolie, who would you like to bless this week? I would like to bless the original Mad-Eye Moody, unseen in this chapter and also for the rest of the novel, who is going through a lot that no one can see and that no one fully believes or takes seriously. I want to send a blessing out to everyone who is dealing with things that You're on your own and no one else can see it or no one takes you seriously and a blessing to you and to Mad-Eye and know that one day you will be found and that you will be okay. What about you, Matt? I'd like to bless Arthur this week. At the beginning of the chapter, there's a lot of commotion and and Amos is calling for the ministry. and, And we know from the last chapter that Arthur has been at work a lot for the last couple of weeks. But then he he has to rush off and he doesn't get to have like a goodbye with his kids, right? Like several of his children, plus their beloved friends, Harry and Hermione, are going off for a year, right? They're not expecting to see them back for Christmas. And he's rushing off to work and I bet he hates it. <laughs> and so I want to bless Arthur and and all those parents who, who work so hard to support their families, but also feel like their work separates them from their families. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I want to bless this cab driver. Who, I feel like you become a cab driver to some extent because you want a little bit of peace. You're like, I'm just going to be spending my life driving. That's going to be nice, especially in like rural England. And then you pull up at this house and it's like, 
eccentric looking, but kind of adorable. And then a cat and an owl and fireworks get into your cab. And I just like that is not what this person signed up for. That is not their job. I feel like COVID really made a lot of people who it's like that was not supposed to be my job, suddenly their jobs. And we just like live in a world in which that's true. I remember once I was at the hospital and a nurse came and was really my chaplain while taking care. You know, I was like, that shouldn't be your job to be like emotionally taking care of me, but look at you doing someone else's job. So I just want to thank this cab driver and a blessing to everyone who is stepping into roles that you really shouldn't have to step into. I'm grateful and I hope that the world rises to meet you soon. Next week, we'll be reading Book 4, Chapter 12, The Tri-Wizard Tournament Through the Theme of Compassion. So, Vanessa, you're going to tell us a story about compassion. Everyone, just a few reminders before we give our thanks. If you are in Denver, Colorado, we have a live show tomorrow night, November 18th. You can come join us there. You can also see Jolie and many of us at our summer camp coming up. And we also have an herbs and myth class, a tarot-related class that is on sale now. You can learn more at NotSorryWorks.com. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Bull. And we are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week to Biddy, who sent us in a wonderful voicemail, to Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, Hannah Rehack, Jolie Doggett, and everyone who said in the names of their loved ones this week. Of carefree frolicking. Do you all do you all know about Prancer Size? Prancer Tell me about Prancer Size.